You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Yes, a YN or a tight end to open up somewhere between 6 feet and 9 feet. Get an isolation with the, with the linebacker. Shall the tackle? What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, PackersTotalAccess at gmail.com. You can text us, 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside Tim, live in Green Bay, back to talk a little Green Bay Packers Packers this evening. How you doing tonight, Tim? Doing good, man. Feeling good. How you feeling? Doing good, man. I'm, I'm ready to roll. we got a couple of videos queued up. I've been seeing some uh, some videos hit the old Twitter Twitter wire too. Uh, things are getting a little bit, a little more active each day. It seems like, which is wild because, you know, it's like you get the closer you drift towards the draft, you expect it to get a little more dead, you know, a little deader. And then we're seeing videos of players working out. Obviously, we showed the shot there of Jordan Love with Drew Brees and and some of the MMA guys, you know, kind of staying in shape, getting after it. Um, and then we had a video surface today of uh, Jaden Reed and Tay Wicks, which we'll we'll kind of hit on here in a minute. And we'll kind of break down. A few statistics from them, too. Let's go to the chat first, though, Tim. We got Peter Stone in the house said, I just seen an article that the Packers are expected to release David Bakhtiari soon via Matt Schneidman. I'm assuming that's the same article we talked about yesterday, Peter, in, in case you weren't in here. Um, basically, Matt Schneidman uh, wrote an article for The Athletics saying there's a good chance they're just going to kind of move on from David Bakhtiari. And, you know, it's probably good that we lead off with this because we've pointed out how Goody's comments – when asked about Aaron Jones and his last presser there of the year, they sounded a lot different from how it sounded with, you know, him commenting on David Bakhtiari. Not that he dogged Bach or anything like that, but it was just like Jones. It was he's the heartbeat of this team. You know, we uh, we we won him back. You know, the, basically the 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 offense was totally different, uh, different dynamic with him in the lineup, on and on. When they asked about Bach, said. Yeah, but, you know, his situation uh, is a little a little bit difficult. You know, the injury, we don't know how far along he is with the injury. It just seemed a little more skittish, right? So if you take that and couple it into, obviously, you know, the other day, Keyshawn Nixon. Keyshawn Nixon's another guy that by the 19th, we should know whether or not there's a good chance he'll be back in the green and go next year. Um, you know, him not cleaning out his locker and just a few comments that are made here and there. And uh, and then also they put a video out. The media team put a video out on Keyshawn Nixon the other day. I'm not suggesting that Goody is going down there to the media room and going, hey, guys, drum me up a video. But I guarantee you the content they put out, they run it up the up the wire, up the rope. Right. And say, hey, thinking about, put, you know, highlighting this player. How do we feel that type of thing? And the fact that that Keyshawn one got passed and the way Keyshawn's acted, I, I'm expecting him back. Well, they released the video two days ago, day and a half ago, something like that, of Aaron Jones. So let's cue that up. And and you can just kind of tell them putting this media out there really kind of, I think it steers the ship in the direction of you're expecting Aaron Jones back, you're expecting Keyshawn Nixon back. Bach, I'm a little more hesitant on, but let's uh, let's hit the video. Jones in open territory. I feel like I'm just stepping into my prime. Showtime, 
33 yards downfield. My goodness. You know, maybe not have had the touchdowns that I've had in the past, but yardage-wise, yards per carry, touches, efficiency, I, I feel like that was the best ball that I've played, and that was the ball that I expected uh, to be playing all year long, and I'm going to open up that way next year as well. Aaron Jones spinning his way to yes. the end zone. He's in yes. for the touchdown! The Packers' late-season surge on offense had plenty to do with a healthy Aaron Jones. It was perhaps the greatest stretch of football for a Green Bay running back ever. Five straight 100-yard rushing games, a franchise record. And in the wild-card win over Dallas, Jones became Green Bay's all-time leader in postseason rushing touchdowns. Running up the middle and running in for a touchdown! The third today for Aaron Jones. He was such a difference maker, you know, not only on the field, but he's such an influential leader in our locker room, and he's just really kind of the heartbeat of our team. He's somebody to look up to, bro. He's somebody to play for. He brings a huge spark to the team, just the leader he is on the team, and then you add his playmaking ability when he gets the ball, so, you know, he's a total package right there. Love Aaron Jones, and I can't say enough about him. I feel like what we're building here is special. You can feel it, you can see it, the chemistry, the bond, the standard that we've set. And I feel like with the standard we set, we know what our expectations are when we come back next year. Our standard is high. The expectation is going to change from the outside as well. But I feel like if we block out that outside noise and continue to just hone in on us, we'll be good. Love it, love it, love it. Got to get, got to get Aaron Jones back in the build, no doubt about it. Tim, your your opinion hasn't changed on O. Jonesy, right? No, not at all. Never and, will. <laughs> uh, no, not and not at all concerned that he's you know going to be thirty. Um, I think he's uh, as fresh as we're going to see. Right? I like what he said there. How he, he closed out last season and he plans on starting next season uh, right where he left off. You know, um, yeah. it'll be nice to see him uh, healthy and uh, being the leader that he is. You know, um, Jaden Reed hit it on the head, man. You're you're somebody that that we want to play for, and that's important to have. You know, a guy like Aaron Jones in a, in a locker room like this with a lot of young talent because, you know, we talk about development. Well, you want guys developing the right way, and you want them to, to play Green Bay Packer football. And who better to show guys how to do that than Aaron Jones? So I'm just happy to see that. And, uh, you know, Wayne Larry not, not lying there at all. Um, you know, probably arguably one of the greatest stretches we've seen uh, from a Packer running back there down the stretch. So, uh Hats off to Aaron Jones, or uh, sombreros off to Aaron Jones for sure. <laughs> exactly. We need Emilio in here with the uh, cheesehead sombrero, don't we? Yeah. Um, no, nah, but you know, like like the old the old school thinking too. Like people people don't do what they're told; they do what they see and hear. Edified. Um, it's a business principle that goes you know goes back as far as business does. And and what I mean by that is Aaron Jones. You've got a guy who has worked his tail off, battled through injuries always been a team player, took a team cut or a player cut, um, you know, just constantly did what's best for the team. That's a guy you want to reward. And what it tells the younger players in the locker room is if I follow that same path, I'm going to get rewarded. Right. Um, and I think that's absolutely huge. If, if they see someone like that leading and, and being selfless and this and that, and then all of a sudden he gets cut, guess what happens? Right. Now the team starts to step back a little bit going, Man, that didn't that didn't work out for him. I need to get mine right now, right? Yep. Not that all players are thinking like that to a certain extent. I think everybody is as a human being, right? You gotta you gotta get what you're valued at, right? There's nothing wrong with it. But uh yeah, that's just uh just something to to kind of keep our eye on there with with Aaron Jones for sure. And, and again, I wanted to point out the contrast between the comments that Goody made about Aaron Jones and then what he made about Bach, and then also the fact that the media team puts a video out on Aaron Jones, on Keyshawn Nixon, you haven't yep. seen anything on Bach, right? Um, so it kind of – I don't know, man. Maybe they're playing it, you know, safe and, and close to the best as well. So uh, Wouldn't or, surprise me for 1265, you know. And there's not much else we can do but try and read between the lines, right? I mean, this right. is all – we're not, you know, we're not inside, uh, you know, behind those closed doors and, you know, really hearing what's going on. But – Certainly, uh, based off of Goody's response, you're you're absolutely right, Clayton. Looks like a little bit of hesitancy to say anything, you know, 100% certain when it comes to Bach. Definitely. Uh, AFAM in the chat said, left tackle is a major issue for us. 
Um, I wouldn't say it's a major issue, AFAM. I've got to I've got to disagree a little bit there, but I'm definitely I'm like right in the middle. There's some people that think Rasheed Walker is a stud, and we don't need another left tackle. And I'm of the opinion of like if Bach doesn't come back, I think we could do better than Rasheed Walker and have him compete for the starting left tackle spot. And if he takes another step and wins it, great, right? If he doesn't win it, then you've got one of the best swing tackles slash backup tackles in the entire National Football League. So um, that's kind of how I'm seeing it. You know, his pass blocking has been really good. His run blocking has not been that good. And, and I know some people like to – they like to cherry pick one or two plays. I had seen someone on Twitter say, uh, if you don't think he can run block, go look at Aaron Jones's 52-yard run against the uh, 49ers. And I'm going, that's one play. Like we're, <laughs> you know, you can find one good play from the worst offensive lineman in the league. So uh, consistency is the big thing. And when it comes to Rasheed Walker, it's his run blocking that's uh, that's the the weaker point. But even with it, it wasn't like he was horrible. So. Let's just put it this way. If we go into next season and Rasheed Walker's the starting left tackle, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I'm just simply saying a position of tier one importance. We know Goody uh, puts a, a very, very high value on left tackle. Obviously, look at the money. He's paid Bach, even though Bach couldn't get on the field the majority of the time because of just the, you know, the uh, just being unlucky with the injuries. But uh, yeah, I, I would be very, very surprised if, if the right tackle falls if Goody doesn't pull the trigger and take a tackle with number 25. I think that's a real uh, real possibility there for sure. AFAM in the chat said, Wowzers, I totally forgot about Walker. I'll take my comments back. <laughs> yeah. I had um, to put that one up right away when I saw it. It's so, great. And, you know, again, he's, he's, he's not – I don't think he's like all pro material. Um, I think he's probably – top 20 tackle, you know, but one thing that we're noticing and learning along the way as we're doing this pod and just following the Packers at a little bit deeper level now is, man, they're, they're willing to just do this to run blocking, right? The, the coaches are, long as you could pass block. Hey, look, we're good. That's good. That's good enough for us. So uh, we'll see, man. We'll see how he, uh, he does moving forward, but let's see. Uh, May I think if we have a major issue on the offensive line, it's right guard. If yes. I'm, if I'm being, if if we're gonna go there, um, mm -hmm. I feel the same way you do about left tackle, man. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't think we can overlook the tackle position, um, but I think we got a solid piece with with Rasheed Walker, and uh, you know I don't think it's a you know massive glaring need, but it's certainly something we can't ignore, and we we've got to continue to improve there. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let's see. Uh, May in the chat says, let's bring him back. I believe he's talking about Bach. I'm totally cool with that. Right. If if you could tell me if you could tell me Bach was good for 13 games, I'd say let's bring him back at the right price. Um, I'm not interested in bringing him back for that thirty nine million dollar cap yet. Right. Right. And we kind of talked about that, you know, several times on this pod. Obviously, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but <clears throat> to me, it would it, it would take probably a five to seven million dollar pay cut and then shifting a, a little bit of those funds around too. I'm cool with Bach back at a cap hit of about 30 to 32 million this year. And hey, look, let's 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 make one more run at it. He takes a pay cut. We also convert a little bit of base salary to signing bonus, give him a little extra money up front. That reduces our cap hit. We don't have to kick anything down the road. That type of thing, I think, would be a, a pretty good trade-off there. Now it's going to come down to do they think he's even going to be ready, right? Like, unless Goody is 110% sure that that uh, David Bakhtiari is going to be ready for training camp. And like, look, he's, he's going to be the old Bach. I say the old Bach, not, not meaning that in a derogatory way, but he is the old Bach now. Right. I mean, let's just face it. He's a little longer in the tooth. So uh, you hate to see some of your favorite players leave, but if, you know, going into the off season, I was, I was kind of looking at it like, ah, probably a 50, 50 shot that he comes back. I'm, I'm now down to about a 30% chance that he comes back and it sucks. It really does, man. Yep. But uh, that's that's the business, right? Uh, Ron in the chat said, I wonder if Jair will come to voluntary wor uh, workouts with a new coach and system. That's a great question. Um, I sure hope he does, man. Um, you know, and, and listen, it's voluntary. I've been very, very vocal about that, especially with Aaron Rodgers and other players who have skipped it. It's voluntary. You, The way I look at that, I, I don't have the right to get mad at a player for not going to something that's voluntary. But I have every right to prop up those players that attend everything like Aaron Jones. 
Like I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about them like they're a freaking hero to me because they don't have to be there, right? If there's anyone that doesn't need the extra reps, it's Aaron Jones, and I guarantee you he his butt will be in that door if they do bring him back. He'll be in the door before everyone else, leading by example. And I would just love to see Jair take that stance too, man. I really would. What do you think about that, uh, Tim? Do you think because there's a new defensive coordinator, new scheme, that maybe Jair comes to the uh, the voluntary stuff this year? You know, I no, I don't, and, and I. I <laughs> I don't think that would be the reason. Let me clarify. I don't, I don't, you know, John might be just one of those guys that prefers to do the off season program on his own. I, I believe mm-hmm. he was in Miami or wherever he was at last year that he, he did his work, um, you know, and so, some guy, it's a personal preference thing. Um, I don't think that there was uh, I don't think the coaching situation is why he skipped the, uh, the voluntary workouts and, you know, whatever he gets a bonus or something, I believe. It's like half a million dollar bonus or something or something like that quarter of a million dollar bonus um, for showing up to the stuff like that um, to him. It's, you know, not about that. I don't, I think it's about a personal preference thing. This is a different year. Um, if anything, maybe the the suspension and the attitude shift and change that we saw with him, maybe that, that would play into it. Maybe the sit down with coach LaFleur and, and Goody uh, and him kind of having a, you know, a refreshed mindset as we went into the playoffs, maybe he carries that throughout the off season and decides, Hey, maybe this is the year I do. I do show up to these volunteer things and, you know, be with my teammates early and, and see what we can get going. Um, I think it would have more to do with that, more to do with Jair and his mindset than necessarily, you know, a new DC and new staff, but I could be wrong. Got it. Jake Shavink in the chat says the Packer way, great pass pro, Poor to average run blocking, no doubt about it. And and it goes kind of hand-in-hand hand with everything we've talked about, right, Jake? Like on defense, you could take one thing away, but you're going to sacrifice something else. You know, yeah. the the top-notch left tackle prospects, really offensive line in general, that that are great at run blocking, great at pass blocking, they're just not out there by the droves, right? They're, they're not, you know, growing on trees. So you got to kind of pick, all right, which one would you prefer? Um, the Packers are definitely going to lean toward pass blocking. And I, I think that's the way I would lean too, right? And I'm sure you agree too, Jake. It's something that's just absolutely crucial, man. Um, Jair agrees with that too. Things could be a lot worse. I could be a Bears fan. <laughs> yes, yes, it could be worse. You're right. AFAM in the chat says, wonder how much the Greenlaw injury will impact the Niners. We know how to beat Detroit. That's a good point. You know, if, if Greenlaw isn't ready for the start of the season, that defense looked totally different without him, Tim. Poor Oren Burks, man. It, last I heard, people were talking about how he's playing pretty well in San Francisco as a backup. And then That's Greenlaw goes down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Greenlaw goes down, and I think they – I think they connected nine for nine on passes when they targeted Oren Burks, they being obviously the Chiefs. So not a good day at the office for old Oren Burks, former Packer, man. I think it proves what we already knew about him and why he's not here is that, yeah. you know, you're shining at that number two or three spot on the depth chart. But if we got to give you, you know, first team reps, it can become an issue, you know, and that's not to say anything about him as a player. You know, he's a good player, but Dre Greenlaw is a great player. And, you know, that was noticeable, the change there when uh, he went down with that freak, whatever that was, the the freak injury coming onto the field. Yeah, God, man, it, it <laughs> broke my heart. Seeing Fred Warner respond to it was tough. Like, you could see these guys. They, yeah. I mean, they played their rear ends off all year long to get to that point, to have that opportunity. And then you go to jog onto the field it's it's just how do you get an nfi during a game like during the biggest game of your life it's crazy dude absolutely crazy uh let's see here in the chat we got jim says uh jires within his right uh to not attend but for that kind of money he's making he should attend especially with the new coach i think that's kind of how i feel jim you know again i'm not going to hold it against someone for not attending voluntary stuff but uh yeah, you know, getting getting that kind of money, you you would you would hope someone would want to come in and, and kind of lead and lead by example. I'll tell you who is leading by example, Tim. We got Jaden Reed and Tay Wicks out there working. I don't know where they're at, but Jaden Reed actually uh, shot this out on uh, on Instagram on his Instagram store. It's a real quick video, but look at our boys, Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks working out here together in the offseason. Hey, oh, 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 oh. Oh, yeah, Jay. Yeah, Jay. Yeah, Jay. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Y'all can take one just one second. Right, hit it. Go hit. Yeah, there you go, right there. All right, Mark. I still ran the slide with you looking around. 
you love to see it. Hey, I want to point this out too. Like, I mean, first of all, Jaden, Jaden's built like a little mini tank, right? No doubt about it, right? But look at Dante Wicks, man. With his shoulders, bro. <laughs> that that I don't remember him being that big last year, Tim. Do you? Like weight he, room. Somebody's yeah. in the weight room. I'm telling you, dude, his shoulders. I mean, that looks like LeBron James' shoulders right there. And I think I want to say Tay's what six one, six two, something like that. Yep. But uh, man, man, they're I mean, out there putting in putting in that work. Yeah, getting Ain't sweaty that. out there, man. Make sure you wash your hands, wash your butt, man. That's it. That's that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Another Tay with some advice there. A fam in the chat says, "OMG, I'm scared of Wicks." I'm telling you, man, that dude looks like that looks like a specimen right there. Hey, we're, we're adding him to the the guys we want off the bus first, right? You know, absolutely the bar, the bar he, fight guys for sure. <laughs> he's leading the receiver room off the bus for sure, man. He's the first receiver off the bus, no doubt. Steve said, "Hey, don't forget about Tim. Tim can move like that. Tim, can you can you Not run there. that juke Not like that, there. man?" No, <laughs> no, I, a little. I was a kicker, man. Stop it. <laughs> I, I did try one time to uh to play a little uh little corner, and I looked uh pretty terrible. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Jay in the chat said, "Hey, we're cooking with diesel, baby. You know, you know it, man." Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news. So don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's us days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Um, I don't know, dude. It just it fires me up to see two young receivers like that out there working together, building more chemistry. Um, you know, and it's not a dig at Dobbs, it's not a dig at Watson or, or any of the other receivers, but I don't think it's a coincidence either that I mean you guys heard me say it coming down the second half of the season. I said Tay Wicks is number one and Jaden Reed's number two. Like I, I would put them ahead of Romeo and and you seen what Romeo did in the play. That's what makes me feel so good about that. Like it's like, man, yeah. if you're telling me Rome's our third guy <laughs> and it's wild. like that as good as he is, and then like we haven't even talked about Scoot and like you know, right. the, the talent is just there. And uh yeah, it's gonna be a heck of a ride here. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna make a I don't do predictions often, but uh uh oh, uh-oh. I'm gonna make a prediction that the Green Bay Packers are gonna have uh way more pro bowlers than we had last year. I think the 2024 team is going to have a lot of pro bowlers and a lot of them are going to be in that wide receiver room, tight end room. So go pack, go. Tim said, put it on the ticker, put Put it on on the ticker. ticker. Love it. Love it. Uh, See Jay in the chat says it's going to be special. Genuinely so excited. Me too, man. Just seeing these young guys kind of, kind of grow together, man, for sure. Um, what, what did Doug say? Doug said, "A fam ordering baby oil from Amazon for his Tay bobblehead now." Oh my God, I'm <laughs> There you go. Uh, Who? Exactly. All right. So when we talk about Tay Wicks and Jaden Reed, these are some really cool numbers here, Tim. I'm gonna run it down one more time for you guys. And basically, it's oh boy, did we sort it? We did not sort it, or did we sort it? Let's see if we sorted it. I don't think we sorted it. I'm gonna see how many times I can say sort it. You know what I'm saying, Tim? Let me <laughs> sort it back down. That's the wrong image. This is where you need to cut into the commercial where it says, uh, we'll just put Jake's, we'll put Jake Shavink's <laughs> comment up because he was talking about what I just said about the Pro Bowl. Hopefully, none, no one ends up attending the Pro Bowl, though. That's right. We'll be, uh, Preparing for a Super Bowl in New Orleans, for sure, Jake. I totally echo that sentiment. I love it. Um, I mean, we've we've already talked about how we feel about the Pro Bowl, right, Clayton? Like, might as well just be an honorary, you know, selection. Like, I don't want to see guys playing dodgeball and tag or whatever they do. It's not not thrilling to me. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we have a ton of guys on the list and uh, nobody actually plays in that (laughs) in the Pro Bowl games, for sure. And you young whippersnappers out there, if you were if you were born, you know, if you're, I don't know, 25 years or younger, right? I challenge you 
go to YouTube and pull up like the 1995 Pro Bowl and watch that. Yep. I actually, as a kid, you know, at the time I say as a kid, at the time I would have been probably 13 years old. I remember looking more more forward to the Pro Bowl than I did the Super Bowl, Tim, because it was like they would get out there and hit, dude. They were trying to win. They it was an, an opportunity to compete against the best of the best. Here's the uh, here's the right statistic that I want to pull up for you guys. So here's what we did: we took all wide receivers across the NFL, and we set a minimum target of 50. So they had to have at least 50 uh, pass targets. Okay, um, so the ball had to be thrown to them at least 50 times and we sorted it by receiver rating which is basically passer rating when these receivers are targeted Jaden Reed finished the season at number six in the entire National Football League at 117.9 oh by the way 94 targets is not a small sample size either now slide down just two spots three spots Dontavian Wicks 58 targets still a pretty good sample size 115.7 if you're just wow. looking at passer rating, receiver rating, which is passer rating when targeted, you've got two top ten wide receivers out there, Tim. That blew me away, dude. Absolutely blew me away. What do you think about those numbers? I mean, I think anytime you know you're a rookie, can you pull that back up? Let me look at this. Hold on a second. Absolutely. You you're you you're a rookie, and you're right up underneath Tyreek Hill on the stat line. That's a that's a good sign. Yeah, you know, Debo Samuel there. Look at all these guys. I'm seeing names that are below our guys, too, that the league is really high on. The league's really high on Amon Ross St. Brown, really high on Mike Evans, DJ Moore, these guys. And it's like, you know, our guys are higher up on this list here. Um, the future is bright at wide receiver for Green Bay, for sure. Oh, no doubt about it, man. I And when I did this earlier in the year, the numbers were still good. They were still starting caliber, but it, it wasn't like both of them in the top ten. It's just absolutely wild, man. Um, I'm really excited to see what those two do. And all this is going to do, you know, the old saying, uh, a rising tide raises all ships, right? Like, mm-hmm. what's this going to do for Romeo Dodd? What's this going to do for Christian Watson when he gets healthy? You oh, know? yeah. Talk about uh, somebody hungry to perform. You know, if he shows up to camp healthy and that, that hammy's holding together, oh my God, watch out for Christian Watson, man. That guy is long overdue. And you're going to see, you know, <clears throat> this 11 personnel – and you're going to be mixing in 12 too. And, and you guys know I, I'm a big 11 personnel fan. I would rather I would rather run out of 11 than pass out of 12. That's just me personally. Um, but if we do have Tucker Craft take another step forward and Luke Musgrave remains healthy and he takes a step forward, what that 12 personnel is going to do is keep those receivers fresh too, right, Tim? So, like, I mean, the more 12 you run, the more fresh your legs are going to be for the 11 personnel. And as it sits right now, Who's your who's your starting eleven personnel? You know you got Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Don Davian Wicks, and Christian Watson. If Christian Watson's healthy, guys, when he came back, when he was healthy those couple games, he was on freaking fire again, like yep. he was last November. So, uh, man, I'm I'm just telling you, this is going to be a good, healthy rotation, man. There's I, no would, I would hate to be a opposing secondary man. Just <laughs> you're watching you're watching personnel change and substitutions, and you're like. Oh, okay, cool. All right, Wicks is Wicks is off the field. Reed's off the field, and then you got to deal with Watson and Dobbs and Bo Melton, Malik Heath. You know the list goes on and on, man. It's just it's a really good feeling to have right now as a Packer fan. It definitely is. Ron Samble in the chat said these numbers could also be better without the early season offensive struggles. Think about that. Like <laughs> that's they were absolute dookie cheeks, right <laughs> in yeah. the half of the season. And then you turn around and finish the season. This is this is the season total yep. for the passer rating when targeted. So I yeah. wouldn't trade those early season struggles for anything in the world because it built that team. It built the character of that team to produce the run that we saw them close the season out with. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, adversity happens to all of us. It's how you deal with it uh, that makes you know who you are. And we saw that a great example of that with that team. Um, those early struggles, man, and they just they just galvanized together. And, you know, we got a good boost from Jonesy getting healthy at the right time. Um, and, you know, Matt LaFleur, you know, going in his bag and utilizing the crap out of Aaron Jones, which is something we were begging to see. And, you know, I don't I don't think a lot of that happens without the the ups and downs of the early part of the season. You know, a lot of us were ready to throw in the towel a little early, and uh, I'm glad we didn't. No, yeah, it made it so much more exciting. And 
And think of the confidence that the players have in Matt LaFleur now, too, because he was not letting up. I remember it being mentioned at the press conferences about, well, you're the youngest team in the league, and he cut Wildy off and was like, I'm, I don't want to hear that. That has we're, These are National Football League players. That's right. It doesn't matter how old they are. We, you make it to this level, you got to be willing to compete. you got to be able to compete. Um, I just think that you know the fact that he kept the pedal down and the players came along behind him, I think it built a lot of confidence uh, in him, you know, within the players. So, and he's taken that same mentality. We heard his, uh, you know, end of season presser. You know, if you don't perform, you're not going to be here. Period. And uh, I think it's a good attitude. We had Preston Smith echoing the, the sentiment, t- telling guys, "Hey, have a championship off season." And what do we see? We see Jaden Reed and Tay Wicks getting in work right now. Um, watch out for the 2024 Green Bay Packers NFL. We are coming for you. Absolutely. I, I think it's legit a top five team, maybe a top three team coming into the year, man. I really do. Adam Block in the chat says, who's the best fullback in the draft? Is and there a fullback in the draft? Doug came back and said, good question, Adam. I'm waiting on Jake Shavink to update us on best long snappers too. So, <laughs> <laughs> We're actually, we may wrap up with a little bit of draft talk and, and talk about some of the players at key positions. Because uh, I got the 33rd team's uh, new updated information uh, keyed up and ready to go. But before we get to that, Tim, what do you say we jump into a little history segment here, man? You good with it? You know I'm always good with that, man. I'm a history <laughs> nerd just like you, Clayton. Let's let's do it. Let's get it. So we're going to pick up where we left off earlier today. Uh, essentially, you know, the video we showed earlier today, this is episode one of the Packers Legacy documentary. It talked about kind of the financial hardship, you know, the the insurance claim on the rain game that didn't didn't go their way. Andrew Turnbull stepping up. You heard about Neil Murphy. You heard about the local businessmen kind of rising up in Green Bay to help. And they started to touch on recruiting just a bit. That's what we're going to pick up right here is Curly Lambeau being willing to – being willing, able, and, uh, and, and just going out and scouting the entire country for talent, right, and building a championship roster, which you guys will hear. Some of the players that he signs here that go on to win their first championship in 1929, I mean, you're talking about Hall of Fame players. And Curly just went through the country and went, I'll take that guy, you come over here, you come (laughs) over here. And they went out and just boat raced the league right at the end of the decade. And uh, one of those players that you're going to hear mentioned is Cal Hubbard. I did a history segment on him last year. Didn't know this until I did the history segment. Cal Hubbard is the only player in NFL history to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Check wow. this out. Because he was an umpire. When he retired from football, he went and umpired Major League Baseball and did it so well for so long that they inducted him into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I Absolutely. love it. It's wild, man. So talking about a guy who loves sports and just couldn't get away from competing, right? But uh, here we go, guys. Let's jump into it. This is the Packers Legacy documentary. You can find it on their YouTube channel for free. Please, please, please go find that video series. Like it. Share it. Let's get that thing some more views because the Packers knocked it out of the park. Here we go. You didn't have the scouting system that you have today. So a lot of times uh, Lambo would scout himself. I can't imagine how he got some of these guys to come up here and play. But he did, and they were exceptional players. He was bringing players to Green Bay who probably never even heard of Green Bay until they heard from Curly Lambeau. There was no draft then. You just brought players in and you signed them to your team. 1929, not much more than a month span, Packers signed Cal Hubbard, Johnny Blood, and Mike Machowski. To this day, is probably the biggest off-season signing coup in the history of pro football. Veteran lineman Cal Hubbard, Iron Mike Machowski, and all-around back Johnny Blood. They become the nucleus of a team that wins three straight NFL championships. All three of them are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You have Hubbard, who was a tackle. He was one of the best tackles in football. He was a mountain of a man for his time. 6'4", 250 to 270 pounds, fast, dominated the line of scrimmage. Just a brute force. His first four years in the league, one year with New York and three years with Green Bay, his team won the championship, and I don't think that was just a coincidence. Pachelski was a guard, one of the best around. He uh, played at Penn State. Tremendous anchor in the line. Premier guard in the league. 
Opposite of Hubbard, he was smaller and quicker. They made a good tandem. Johnny Blood, who was a running back, but also a fantastic receiver. In 1931, he caught 10 touchdown passes. He only was thrown the ball maybe 20 or 22 times that season, so every other pass he catches, he's in the end zone. Tremendous athlete. He could do a lot of things that other people couldn't. The name McNally never appeared in a pro football box score. He adopted the pseudonym Johnny Blood. I had a motorcycle at the time, and a friend of mine wanted to go out with me. So we got on my motorcycle, and we passed a theater with him on the marquee. It says, Blood and Sand, with Valentino. So I said, I've got some more eligibility in college, and I've got to protect it. So I'm going to take the name Blood, and you take the name Sand. I don't regret it. It's, uh, I've been lucky under the name. Probably the biggest character in the history of the league. So you get all three of those players in one season. Legends of the game, and they had them all in one year. That really was what put them over the top. It's no wonder the Packers went 12-0-1, outscored their opponents 198-22. to That's just a huge infusion of talent in one offseason. Curly Lambeau, the driving force behind these greats of the gridiron, changes the game. He was mentally strong, he was arrogant, he was selfish, highly competitive. Very confident in himself, always, about everything. He pioneered the forward pass in professional football. He was the only times to throw 40 to 45 passes in a game when most teams were three yards in a cloud of dust. The scoring in the early years was not the way pro football is today. Much of the game's pressure rests on the toe of the punter. Sports writers, when they were reporting the games, would often talk about how one punter would shift the field position over the opposing punter. If you got one touchdown in the game, that was big. Punt the ball deep, hope your opponent makes a mistake down near its goal line, you recover, and then you have a very short field. No punter is better than Vern Llewellyn. He plays nine seasons with Green Bay and is arguably the Packers' most valuable player during that period. Every time Llewellyn punted, the Packers would gain five or 10 yards in field position. Packers won a big game and one of their biggest games ever when they beat the Giants in 1929 at the Polo Grounds. Vern Llewellyn was the difference in the game. A number of times during that game, he punted on first down and just changed field position. Old timers consider him the greatest punter ever. Charlie Matice claimed Vern Llewellyn was the greatest player in Packers history. Matice played quarterback for the Packers from 1922 to 26 and was the leading receiver during that period of time because quarterbacks weren't necessarily the featured passer. All the great players that have come before and all the great players that will come after. Those are the people that really made the game. And, and he, you know, they didn't, they didn't uh, play the game for money and they didn't play the game for fame. They played the game because they loved the game. Imagine how Green Bay was after they won their first NFL championship. It was like little Green Bay is competing with the big boys. Ninth year in the league, they win their first championship, 1929. Truly amazing. Now there isn't a championship game at this point. This is all based on standings and records. The big win was in New York, but then they finished up with a victory over the Bears and that was the clincher. Following the win, over 20,000 fans greet the champs at the train depot. Quite a turnout for a town of only 37,000. In 1929, we got nothing for winning the championship. We did have a tremendous reception when we came back in, into Green Bay from uh, winning the championship on the road. A mere six weeks following the start of the Great Depression, fans still contribute more than $5,000 to a Packers championship fund. Then they had a celebration night for us. And at that time, they gave us a nice watch, and a nice pocketbook with, I believe, $250 in it. Mayor John Diener tells the crowd, Green Bay may be the 241st city in size, but it's the first city in football. This is a much bigger story than just than just the David versus Goliath thing. You've got the unique ownership. You've got the small city. You've got the passionate fans. It is a celebration of the masses for the masses, for the team and for the fans themselves. A decade of continuous support beyond the pocketbook. 
of the Catholic Women's Club, early 1920s, raised money to buy blankets for the players so they'd be warm on the sidelines. Around that same time, the Packers were playing Racine in Milwaukee, probably couldn't afford transportation. We don't exist without this community coming to our rescue and standing beside us. The people of Green Bay loved the team. It was a very good team. It was more successful than many of the other teams that went away. They asked the fans who had cars to transport the players so they could have a ride to Milwaukee. I don't think any team has a relationship with its community the way the Packers do. The Catholic Church even joins in on the fan fury. Changed its time of its Sunday morning masses to 5.30 on the weekends when the Packers were playing the Bears in Chicago so fans could go and catch the train. Green Bay survives because of the attitude and the determination of the people in the city. Without that, Packers wouldn't be here. All of the other little cities that started out with football back when Green Bay did in the early 1920s, they all faded away. But this one continued to exist, and not only exist, but thrived under Curly Lambeau. This is a franchise. Every other franchise in the National Football League would like to be like. The tradition here is remarkable. The fandom, incredible. You could make movies about this. People say, that's never going to happen in real life. Well, it did. Man, I tell you, it's so good. It's so freaking good. They absolutely crushed it. Um, big thing there, Johnny Blood, for those of you who don't know, what he was talking about, you know, blood and sand. If you didn't catch on to exactly what he was describing there, players would change their names. So they would – they basically, if you were playing in college, you had college eligibility. You might not be going to college at that moment, but they had you in the system as, you know, John McNally, right? And if he had two more years of eligibility – and he went on and tried to play pro football, then he would forfeit his eligibility at college. So he said him and his buddy, his buddy, they were on their motorcycle cruising down the road, and they look up and they seen blood and sand on the movie theater. And they were like, you know what? That's it. I'll take blood, you take sand. So I'll be Johnny Blood. That's how he got the name Johnny Blood. One of the most colorful characters, not just in Green Bay history, but football history. Football history, yep. Talking about him skipping curfew and, and tight walking, a balcony like several stories up to, to, to skip on curfew. He's the one that we mentioned earlier today that uh, Curly Lambeau offered him more money if he wouldn't drink after Friday or whatever it was. And he said, no, nah, you can keep the money. I'm going to continue to drink. <laughs> the dude was just unbelievable, man. Um, and he's in the Packer or in the uh, pro football hall of fame too, as well. But 1929, Tim, that kind of got everything going, you know, and I love that Lambeau just went out there and, and pulled in all these uh, these Hall of Famers right off the bat, man. It's pretty cool stuff. And I love how the fans, you know, did what we always do, which is make sure we take care of that team and those players. And, you know, it's so cool to see that. You know, they didn't really get much recognition other than a write-up in the papers about, you know, winning the championship. There was no championship game. But, you know, those players all talked about it. You know, the reception they got when they, they came back to Green Bay, it just says a lot about this, this town and these fans and, and this football team, it is, it truly is. Cliff Crystal is spot on. It's the greatest story in sports for sure. Really is. Mark in the chat said, where does Green Bay right now? Still first in football. I agree, man. I agree. Uh, let's see here. Dwayne Stiegel in the chat said, this channel is better than any Netflix series. Hey, we appreciate that, buddy. You sure about um, that? Yeah. <laughs> tell you what, you get the whole crew in here, you would, you would disagree. We get off the rails pretty quick, no <laughs> doubt about it. Me and Tim kind of stay on topic. If Emilio or Jacob's in here. It, uh, that's when you got to start queuing up the, the conspiracy music for sure. <laughs> uh, so the chat was kind of hitting on some draft talk. Jake Shavink said, if you count Ben Sanat as a fullback, then him when they were asking about fullbacks, uh, talking about just how good Ben Sanat is. Uh, let's see. Doug said, dang, Jake, I really like Sanat. Um, let's see. Peter Stone says, mock draft using our 33rd team information. LOL. Oh it would be almost impossible to do that because we'd have to be cross-checking and we won't have a draft. They don't have a mock draft simulator. I wish they did. It's the only thing their site is lacking, really. If you had their draft board information along with a mock draft simulator, oh, my gosh, man, it would be game on. But we will pull up the information here and kind of walk through some of these positions for you guys and gals. Uh, Adam in the chat said, I'm serious, though. San Francisco has a great fullback. I want one, too. Here's the problem with that, Adam. You know, I was the same way, like, when they hired – when they hired Matt LaFleur, you immediately start to think, okay, is he gonna is he gonna have a similar offense to Kyle Shanahan? And and really there's two different things there. 
there's philosophy and how you're going to attack the opposing defense, your run to pass ratio. There's your passing concepts. There's your formations. How many trips are you going to run? How many bunch are you going to run? Are you going to go double sidecar on and on and on? But then there's the personnel aspect, right? Matt LaFleur has always went down the Sean McVay side of things, which is 12 personnel over 21 personnel. Now I guarantee you if Sean McVay or Matt LaFleur had a Kyle check, which is who you're talking about there, they'd be running 21 as well, right? But the fact that, you know, San Francisco has Kyle check, that's why they lean on 21 personnel as much as they do. Um, phenomenal player. But I just don't think – I don't think we're going to go out and try to find that fullback. I think Matt really likes what he's got going on with his 12 personnel and how he's using the condensed sets. And, uh, you know – not that he won't take anything from Kyle Shanahan. You know, I believe they had the top offense in the league this year, if I remember correctly, when we looked at those numbers. They were definitely top three, but I think they were number one. So that's the, that's another thing the coaches are doing this time of year. They're sitting back and watching the tape of all the successful the, – the top ten offenses, top ten defenses they're going through, and they're going, yep, we'll steal that, we'll steal that, we'll steal that. It's a copycat league, no doubt about it, so – um, but yeah, you know, Kyle Juszczyk, man, he's uh, he's one of a kind. He's he's such a good player for sure. Reef says Clayton and Tim, wide receiver, first round of the draft. We need more weapons to keep the train and chain going. I'll tell you this, man. Um, <laughs> Tim, Tim spoke before I could. Um, we were talking about it offline last night. Watch this be the year when no one expects it that Goody takes a wide receiver in the first round. I would laugh so hard, man. <laughs> I don't I don't disagree at all with. Uh, I only partially disagree with Reef here. I. I have no problem taking a wide receiver in this draft. I really don't. But good lord, if it's in the first round, whew, that, that that would surprise me. That that would be that would be shocking. Quarterback or a, or a, or a wide receiver with the first pick would be shocking to me. And what are we going to do? We're going to start running ten personnel. Like you can't get all these guys on the field, right? Like that's what's crazy. So uh, again, man, the right person falls in place. I do know this. Many people overlook why we haven't taken a receiver in the first round. Who was Goody's mentor? Right? Ted Thompson. Thompson. Who was Ted Thompson's mentor? It was Ron Wolf. Who was Ron Wolf's mentor? Pretty much Al Davis back in the day, right? Al Davis and Bill Walsh have some ties. Okay. So when you come from this West Coast tree, which uh, Al Davis wasn't West Coast, obviously, within the West Coast offense tree. But Bill Walsh spent one or two years with Al Davis. He goes over, obviously, to San Francisco. He goes to Cincinnati, comes back to San Francisco. And his way of building the roster, right, do you know what Bill Walsh always said? Wide receiver is the last piece. It's the last chess piece that you put in place. You, you, never, you never put value on wide receiver until the rest of the team is complete. And that's why when he when he took Jerry Rice there in that draft, they said that in the war room, he said, guys, we got everything else in place. We got our Charles Haley rusher. We got Ronnie Lott at safety. We got every, everything's good. We're good. Now we go get a wide receiver. And they went and got Jerry Rice, which he wasn't even their top choice, which is absolutely wild. I need to find that draft clip because it is it is phenomenal, Tim. You would love it. So I say that because all these years later, how many wide receivers has Ted Thompson taken in the first round? Zero. How many is Goody? Zero. So it's obvious they're thinking in the same the same vein there that uh, that Bill Walsh was. So uh, there's just other needs that need to be filled before wide receiver. And oh, by the way, we're just absolute studs at finding those really really good second round wide receivers. So. I mean, that's all rooted in logic. I mean, you really can have is. you can have ten Jerry Rices out there if you got no line and no quarterback <laughs> to get the ball there. I mean. It's gonna be it's gonna be an uphill battle, and you know that's the worst thing you could do to uh, top tier receiver talent, right? And I feel for these guys that get they get picked early, and they go to these teams, and it's like they can't even get targets, they can't even get opportunities to show off their skills because the rest of the pieces aren't there. So uh, it's it's very true, and I'm I'm glad we're sticking true to that uh, that scheme when it comes to drafting. Yeah, me too, man. I mean, it's been successful for so long, for sure. Jake Shavink says, Michael Vinson from Notre Dame, long snapper one in the draft. There you go. There's your, there's your long snapper, Tim. Doug says, the fans pass the hat to give the team some prize money. Pretty cool, man, how they used to pass the hat around, for sure, man. Um, love those old that old footage. Let's take a quick glimpse 
at the 33rd team's draft information. You want to, Tim? That sound good Let's to you, do man? It. All right, so here we go. Let me get that uh, comment off the screen. We'll go full screen here. And I want to explain what we're looking at here, gang. Um, basically, what we've got here is we've got their vertical draft board. Okay, so this is just overall grade. If you'll look to the right, you'll see their grade over here. And, and here's the grading scale, just to kind of point it out. Seven, 7.0 plus means immediate starter with all pro potential. 6.7 to 6.9 means strong starter. 6.5 to 6.6 means lower end starter. 6.2 to 6.4 means limited starter or multi-position backup. 6.0 to 6.1 means developmental player. 5.5 to 5.9 is backup. And 5.4 is priority free agent. Okay, just want to point out that's their grading skill. All right, now here's what I did. I took our top needs for Green Bay. All right, so we're kind of filtering out some of the noise here, and we still have the rankings. We said safety was our top need. We got it included. Corner, offensive line, uh, that includes tackle, guard, and center, just so we can kind of cover all the bases because we all know we could use an interior offensive line at right guard. We also may need a left tackle as well if Bach doesn't return and get a little competition there for Rashid. Worst-case scenario, he's the backup. Here's another thing, too. If you draft a tackle early with that 25th pick and he's an absolute stud, you could kick Tom inside, and now you're off to the freaking races. Tom could play right guard, right? There's a lot of different a lot of different ways you can attack that for sure. Um, linebacker is another one that we put in at need. I put Will Backer and Mike Backer, and we left Edge off, okay, because obviously Sam most of the time is, is more of that Edge type uh, backer. Let me make sure they don't have a Sam. Yeah, so it's just uh, Edge Rusher, and then they got Mike and Will, which simply means middle linebacker and weak side linebacker, okay? So with that being said, we're not going to touch any of the other positions, um, I don't know, Tim. Do you think we should add? I mean, should we add in defensive line, tight end, and halfback? Should we do that too? I mean, yeah. You know, I don't I know. Long snapper, right. you know. Just... <laughs> no, not going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So quit asking. <laughs> so here we go. As we look at the talent across the board, Joe Alt obviously coming in. And again, this is just the positions of need. All right. I'm not going to read them all, but just to kind of give you an idea, the best player available on the board. That fits a need for us will be Joe Alt. Obviously, he's ranked number three. He's the top offensive tackle in the game. Then J.C. Latham at rank six. You can see those rankings, right, Tim? Yep. All right, good deal. That way you can kind of see where they fall into place. You've got Brock Bowers at number eight. You've got Fashanu, offensive tackle, at number nine. You've got Fuaga at number 12. I'm not expecting these guys to be available if, indeed, the draft goes the way the 33rd team expects it to go. So as we climb on down here a little bit, you know, we got Kool-Aid McKinstry in a mock draft earlier today, didn't we? Or was it last night, Tim? It was last night, wasn't it? We got I think him. it was, yep. So he's ranked 13th according to the uh, 33rd team's vertical draft board here, okay? So just keep that in mind. Pretty high for us to be able to get him at 25. Nate Wiggins at 14 at corner. Then it's offensive guard Fontana out of Washington. He's 21st. Now you're getting in that range where one of these guys will most likely fall to you, right? you got a good shot at it. Here's your first tight end, Jatavian Sanders, a three-year junior out of Texas, 6'4", 243. His grade is 6.7. This is all sorted by their the 33rd team's grade. Here's my boy Tyler Newbin, five-year senior, 6'2", 210. His grade is a 6.7. Then you got offensive tackle Tyler Guyton. Uh, out of Oklahoma at 6.7. He's six foot seven, 327 pounds. That is a whole lot of boy right there. Uh, number 26 ranked Jackson Powers Johnson. Good chance he'll be available. 6.7. He's got good size for a center, or yeah, for a center too. 6'2, 320. Then Quinya Mitchell, they've got him in the 27th spot. These are just some of the names. Cameron Kinchins, we've talked about him. Notice that him and Tyler Newman, they have the same grade on those guys. So you'd be okay with either one of them. Here's what you got. Tyler Newbin, 6'2", 210. Cameron Kitchens, 5'11", 205. But like Jake's pointed out, Cameron Kitchens fits more of that playing center field, that middle field safety in a, in a cover three or a cover one with the middle field close. As yep. where Tyler Newbin maybe doesn't fit that as much. So there's but your – Tyler Newbin might be the better athlete, the better exactly. player, right? Yeah. Certainly the better build that we're looking for, you know. Definitely. Jake's on the record just like just like I am. And, and I haven't heard anybody say Cam Kitchens is the better prospect now. You know, I had heard Jake kind of talk about 
uh, Kinchins more than Newbin, and and I was too stupid to actually hear what he was saying. What he was saying is scheme fit wise, and what you may what you may want this safety to do in playing that deep center field. Cameron Kinchins might be the better fit there. Um, Amarius yep. Mims, offensive tackle out of Georgia, that'd be another solid pick. Any of these guys in the top thirty, I'd be okay with. They got Cooper DeGene a little bit lower here, Tim. At 33, I know there's several mock drafts that's got us taking him. They've got him listed as cornerback, 6'1", 207 is good size for a corner. Uh, some people believe he can play safety too. Um, I think he might be that nickel nickel top corner would be uh, his spot there. Anything you want to hit on here before we try to slide down to around where we're going to be picking next? Um, no, not really. We can keep moving. Just if you can do what we me talked a- about with the safeties. Yeah, if you can do me a favor. Is there any way you can pull up our draft positioning? I don't have it in front of me right now. Um, what I want to know is just what are our draft picks. So if you can just put Green Bay Packers uh, 2024 draft picks, uh, you got it. draft pick order, whatever. I think it's 41 is our next pick, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong. But uh, nonetheless, if we were to drop down a, another another little uh, spat here, if there's a chance that Junior Colson drops – Right, if he drops to that forty-one spot, if indeed you just confirm when you get that, if we're going to be picking at forty-one, I believe that's that's right. Yeah, it's forty-one. Forty-one okay. is the next. I would be totally cool with Junior Colson at forty-one. I would. And, you know, the, here's the problem, though. Well, it's not really a problem. If you look, if you if you were to draw this out like a horizontal board, obviously you would take the safety over Junior Colson. But if for some reason the Packers do say, you know what, at twenty-five, let's just get our safety right now let's take Tyler Newbin or let's take Cam Kinchins. We come back at 41, Atlanta Jr. Colson. I will be doing backflips, man, absolute backflips. 6'2", 247, good size, just a junior, a little bit young, out of Michigan, obviously been a part of a, a championship program. You guys know when we graded them out, we had Jeremiah Trotter Jr. number one, and we had Junior Colson number two. And then after seeing this and how far they've actually got Jeremiah Trotter Jr. down on their board, um, I would be – I'm starting to think that Junior Colson might be the safer pick now. Um, if this was combine information shaking this up, Tim, I would be rolling my eyes. But this is the 33rd team pre-combine. They're watching the tape. They've graded these players out as if these former executives, former coaches were building their own team. That's why they call it the 33rd team. Um, that I've got a lot more confidence in their ability to uh, evaluate the talent than than any amount of information I can put into my – my draft board, right? What would you think about that at 41? What would you be thinking at 41, just based off what we've seen and talked about the potential at 25? How do you feel about 41? You know, I'm a defensive first kind of guy. Oh, um, feel you say. <laughs> it's no secret. Um, I feel, feel good about a lot of these guys right here that, you know, at 41. The question is who's going to be on the board, but I'd be looking – I mean – it is tempting to look at a guy like uh, I can't even say his name. I'm going to butcher it. Kingsley from BYU, gotcha. you know, big big tackle. Um, but you know, Cedric Gray is a guy I've been looking at, uh, and we talked about Junior Colson too. If we're talking linebackers, so um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna you know, if it's not offensive line, I'm going defense for sure. It's another guy too that Jake Shavink was mentioning last night is Peyton Wilson out of NC State, six four two thirty eight. Goody loves. Those tall linebackers, man. Devondre Campbell, obviously, they went out and got him in free agency. I think he's six foot four. I think Quay's six foot four. That would kind of fit that mold for them, too. But What's what do we have any? How old is Peyton Wilson? Peyton Wilson, he's a six six year senior. I'm wondering how he's probably oh, a little, no. Probably what a have I done? Look at this, Tim. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, we've lost all our information, but that's all right though. So, uh, what what did you ask now? How old he is? It doesn't even say. Yeah, I just talked about him being a six-year senior. That's a good point. He's got to be. That guy's drawing Social Security, man. <laughs> like, it's seriously six-year senior. But, hey, how many times, too, though, have we gotten upset that someone wasn't uh, wasn't seasoned enough, right? That's and, true. Uh, you know, you, you jump into a situation like that and uh, obviously uh, a little bit better – little bit better prepared as opposed to like a Quay Walker who was a lot younger, right? So just something yep. to kind of take into consideration. Let me load these back up real quick. Um, now we know not to do that moving forward, right? But <laughs> it will take just a second. We'll kind of fly through. I'm not going to pick a nose. I don't think we really need a nose. We do need an edge later. 
Um, we'll go Mike. We'll go Will, corner, safety, pretty much everything but quarterback and wide receiver we're trying to stay away from. So, um, All right, so at 41, kind of what you pointed out, could be an offensive tackle. I was pointing out it could be a linebacker. Here's another thing, too, if they go a different direction at 25, and you take the best safety that's available of those two. I don't think you should reach if it's another safety, but if it's Cam Kinchins or Tyler Newbin there at 41, I'd be okay with that too if they last that long. What's going to make me slap the table like the Denzel Washington Malcolm X gift um, on draft night is going to be the uh, the fact that if we come up at 41, we didn't take a safety at 25, and both of those top two safeties are gone, and we didn't do anything in free agency, Tim, I'm going to pull – my freaking hair out, man. <laughs> no doubt about it. What's our next pick after 41? And we'll wrap up right there. We'll be at 58. This is our original second round pick. Gotcha. So at 58, get get somewhere down in this range. You like Trey Benson running back out of Florida State. He's at 53. He's the top running back in the draft according to the 33rd team. You got Gabriel Murphy, edge defender um, out of UCLA. Josh Newton, cornerback out of TCU. Another running back, Will Shipley out of Clemson, Jared Wiley tied in out of TCU, Chris Jenkins. We were real big on There we go. Man, I would really like Chris Jenkins around that 58th spot too, for sure. I'm just not – I'm not down with taking a running back in the second round. So I'm I'm leaning towards Chris Jenkins. Yeah, I'm with you there. And that's the thing too. Like you're not seeing – what we're noticing with the 58th pick is you're not seeing any tackles. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not really – Defensive tackles. Right. It, it to me it looks like where your your best shot if the thirty third team proves to be accurate as far as how these players may or may not come off the board. Um you're you're looking at running back, edge, defensive tackle, maybe corner. That might be where you pick up one of your corners there at that fifty eight spot. But I'm telling you, if you told me we took Tyler Newbin with the twenty fifth pick, and then with the forty first pick, we took um, let's say Junior Colson and then with the 58th pick, we could take Chris Jenkins. Oh my God, dude. I would be I would be beside myself with that draft. Just those first three picks. So it's a, I just wanted to kind of walk through that info real quick to kind of give you guys an idea of all right, what's the vertical board actually looking like as we get closer to those top picks in the draft and kind of see, you know, how that falls into place. And and we're you notice if you haven't caught on, we're looking at it from totally different angles. We're doing mock drafts from three different websites, right? We did two, two, and two. Um, I've showed you my draft board, which I got to put the updated information into. Um, There you go. Peter Stone said Wilson, Peyton Wilson is 24 years old. So, yeah, Yeah. that's that's kind of a big – for Goody, I don't have a problem with it. I I don't understand the whole whether 24 we can't take them. But Goody, there's no doubt about it, Tim. He he would prefer – Taking one of those uh, those younger players now. Keep in mind, he did take Devontae White, if I remember correctly. I think he was twenty four, wasn't he? Twenty three yeah. or twenty four. I think so, for for Goody, it's going to come down if he feels like a guy like that can come in and contribute and play, and it's not there's not going to be a lot of development uh, issues. Then yeah, you you, you take him because you know twenty four is not old uh, right. by any means, but it is for a rookie um, in this league, and uh, you know it, it would stink to draft a guy who's 24 years old, have to stick, you know, a year or two of development into him to ultimately end up losing him, you know, so. Right, right. And it's kind of the opposite of what we've seen with Kenny Clark, right? We drafted him. I think he was like 20 years old. Yep. And and now, you you know, he's he's on this second contract and he's still still young, you know. Um, exactly. It's pretty wild how that one played out, which especially with him having the success he had early in his career. I'm hoping this new defense and him uh, them switching to a a four three with the stack backers and giving him the freedom to really just, I mean, get really aggressive in his run gaps, uh, you know, assignment. I'm yep. hoping Kenny Clark kind of returns back to that form where we've seen him there a few years ago where he was he was really dominant. So really, he's just had one or two good years that he's graded out well. Uh, Peter Stone says 33rd team is awesome. I completely agree, man. It's uh, one of my favorite sites. Anytime someone brings credibility because they've been there, they've done that, um, that's where I like to just shut up and, and listen and try to study what they're talking about. And and I know some people will look at like, well, he wasn't a good GM or he was a bad player. He was a practice squad player. Were you a practice squad player? Right. Oh, okay, then shut up and listen. <laughs> like he made it to that level for a reason. I'm not saying he's Joe Montano out there. I'm just simply saying, listen, maybe maybe we can still learn something from someone that, that made it to the level, right? So, Tim, yeah. you got anything else before we get out of here, buddy? No, it was just cool to to break this down. I, I'm assuming you want to continue down the, the list tomorrow then? 
yeah, we'll probably pick back up there. We might do a mock draft tomorrow um, as well. I'm telling you, we should get some news any day now. It was this date last year that Aaron Jones restructured his contract. So I'm, I'm hoping we get something in the next day or two, which tomorrow is – what is tomorrow, Sunday? Yep. Yeah, t- tomorrow Sunday. So it would have to. The deadline's the 19th. So I can't imagine they'll wait until, you know, midnight of the 19th or whatever that day is that falls into place. Let's see if we can kind of pick up real quick on when that deadline would actually be as far as the actual dates. Cause I know we briefly hit on that before here's the off season dates. So the 20th beginning this date through 4 PM, uh, New York time. So through 4 PM. So it would have to be midnight then Tim. So I imagine the Keyshawn Nixon decision has to be made. And most likely the Aaron Jones decision will probably be getting made before midnight of the 19th. So, Obviously, that would be, yeah. So that would be Monday evening, then, wouldn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. So Monday will probably be the deadline. It could happen any time now, but should be by eleven fifty nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Monday evening. We I got a feeling we'll we'll hear about both of them. That's yeah, my thought. So. We'll hear about Jonesy and uh, and Keyshawn. We may hear about Bach too, but this yeah. date right here kind of makes me think it's not a shoe in that we, we get information right away. Now the Schneidman article really perked my ears up like, okay, maybe he's heard something, but you guys remember something similar with Zadarius Smith had a huge cap hit due uh, March 14th, 2022. Uh, he would have been responsible for $27.7 million hit on the 2023 cap. And he was released by the Packers on that day, March 14th, that freed up 15.3 million similar situation there. So there's a chance that the box situation could carry all the way over into mid-March, but yep. as far as some of these early uh, early uh, shifting of the numbers, if you will, I think uh, Aaron Jones and, and uh, like we said, Keyshawn Nixon probably have something by 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on Monday night. So with that being said, we're going to get out of here. Tim, appreciate your time, buddy. This was a fun one. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll be back in the morning for Good Morning Lambeau, and uh, appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat. You guys were awesome. I love it when we – when we have kind of a light night and we can actually lean on the chat a little bit and just have some really good conversations there. Love to hear uh, what you guys are thinking and kind of keep our finger on the pulse there for sure. So with that being said, we're out of here. We'll see you in the morning. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go Pat go. The power sweep. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Yes, a YN or a tight end to open up somewhere between six feet and nine feet. You get an isolation with the with the linebacker. He's going to tackle, to take the defensive end if he's over him. If he's not, to drive down on the first man to his inside. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker here, he comes all the way around. If you look at this play, what we're trying to get is a seal here and a seal here. Try to run this play in the alley.